0: And thanks to Brewpack. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Well, um, good to be back. Um,
1: you know, if only, obviously, uh, perhaps for you know the last time, I guess. Last time. Oh, sorry. I just I just my um, I've actually been off Facebook for the last two weeks because the from what I heard um, as of. Last Tuesday, um, pretty much the world's about to end. Ah, the Trump. Yeah, I know we're not supposed to talk about it. Uh,
0: well, well we but might just in case, you know, we might. yeah we'll uh, your cards on. <laughs> yeah, well, I, to, 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 to be honest, um, you know, having seen the gnashing of teeth and everything, do, do we want to go into it? I, you know, I, I think everybody's flogging nah. that horse, so. Yeah. What happens will happen, as I said on Facebook, you know, my only comment on Facebook was that as so far as social experiments go, this is the big one. <laughs> How's your work been? Good, mate. Out selling beer, sort of out uh, you know, doing sales calls, learning a lot about the, uh, the beer industry. It's uh, fascinating, um, as well as keeping Brews News, the hamster on the wheel, and uh, uh, very busy this time of year with uh, corporate events and beer tastings for Christmas. So uh, I have a full program, as they say. Yeah, and uh, heading down to the Hunter this week, I hear. Uh, yes, heading down to Maitland. Um, a great little um beer bar. In fact, uh, when this show drops, I'll be in Maitland uh, helping the Poorhouse down there celebrate its third birthday, uh, which is a nice little segue into today's interview, given that we're celebrating. Well, it's also a
1: segue out of out of last week's because. Hendo 2 to I see Troy, uh, who opened the Poorhouse.
0: Oh, yes, um, is now on board with the, as a partner in Brewkolt. It is, yes. So it's a, yeah, um, really nice. So uh, you know, I'm looking forward to going down and uh, celebrating their, helping them celebrate their third birthday. And we've got a couple of the great brewers from the Hunter um, coming along, and they're going to bring one of their beers. One of the formats I've enjoyed doing for my tastings prof um, to keep things interesting and not just uh, ramming brand down people's throat is uh, each of the brewers gets to bring one of their beers and also one of the beers that inspired, influenced or, you know, changed their thinking about beer so uh no, we're, we're looking at doing that at, at the, the poorhouse in maitland so i'm very very excited about that and uh also as part which, of that which
1: brewers just opportunity to give them a shameless plug
0: yeah matt hogan um is coming along um i'm just trying to think of the lineup um because the poorhouse has organized it we'll come back to that yeah so so we'll come back to that but uh, we'll, we'll talk about it uh next week and uh i'll tell you the beers that inspired and influenced cool. them but as part of that we've also been planning to go down and maybe do a podcast from the pub in newcastle and uh been having a chat to Corey about that, and that looks like it's going to happen. So uh, we'll we'll get another chance to go down and probably meet these guys all over again and uh, take it to the people, take it to our audience. Now, Prof, in news this week, um, I don't know... Now, you're you're a Victorian, and about the only thing you ever shit can on this um, podcast is uh, Queensland. Um, But do you get the uh, Queensland-based Forex ads down there?
1: We don't even get Queensland-based Forex, Matt, so...
0: No, really? I thought it was. No, it's
1: it's around, but you've got to really look for it.
0: Okay, because it's the biggest brand in the country. uh, On maybe not on volume, we'll be getting emails from the uh, marketing team at Cub. Um, but no, it is on volume. Not on on volume, not on sales. That's right, not on value. Um, but they've you know one of the things that we have talked about over the years is the beer commercials always have four blokes, and it's four buffy blokes, you know, sitting around a campfire or sitting on. You know, the couch watching football or you know or trying to build a boat or buying it or standing on the beach fishing um, you know and, going to Forex Island going to Forex oh, Island those all of those things um, they've also you know one of the things I've always criticized is you know the the blokes always tend to look scruffy um, overweight um, possibly pandering to some of the worst stereotypes of beer drinkers um, and you know I've written you know numerous articles talking about you know there's no surprise for why beer has you know, when the brewers gnash their teeth and wonder why beer has such a bad image when they're often the ones propagating the image um, and mm. confirming that negative image. But uh, in the last week, um, Forex has dropped a new series of ads. Um, and I'll pop these in the show notes. But uh, this one, and it's, it's called Taking the Gold. And the idea is it's not just an idea, it's a way of life. Whether you're putting on the best barbecue or heading on a brilliant camping trip with the family, not with the boys anymore, Prof, with the family and mates, the key is always make time to take in the gold. Um, and uh, yes, so it, it, it shows, it starts with the usual, um, you know, a couple of blokes putting the boat on the back of the, uh, the car, but then it finishes, you, you start gradually seeing the wives in the background and uh, then it finishes with, you now let's see, there are, Four blokes in the photo, four blokes in the in in the, in the movie. Uh, they're they're a little bit younger, but they've all got wives. Um, pretty young, wa- and, no, actually. Three of them have wives. Looking at the photo, um, one bloke is uh, Son's wife. But uh, no, I thought that was a very interesting. Um, you know, often we learn a lot about the brand and the demographics by watching the ads because they don't try and change perceptions with ads. They play to the existing ads or. The, the people so we might even uh get one of the forex marketing guys on and uh learn what consumer insights they got into um but i'll, I'll jump yeah, online yeah. prof because next time we do a Gruen transfer or brew transfer uh that will no doubt be something that we discuss yes yeah i'll look i'll look out for it so yeah so you hadn't actually seen that one so uh you, you got nothing to comment on that's right so um is there any uh let's see in, in other news um on the the podcast uh Yeasty Boys announces a Sydney venture. Any thoughts on that?
1: Uh, yeah, I saw that um, briefly yesterday on, on Australian Brews News, Australia's leading source of brews news and opinion. And I thought, uh, yeah, very interesting. Good luck, Tom.
0: That's all? Yeah. Okay. Uh, line, and these are all news headlines from uh, Australian Brews News' as prophecy. Um, also dropping earlier in the week, James Atkinson actually had an exclusive um line to sell uh, rare beers direct online through Moku or the uh, modern curated gallery um mm. and is going to be the uh only external retail channel for single batch craft beers from Little Creatures and Malt Shovel Brewers and presumably also White Rabbit.
1: Yeah, I think White Rabbit was in there too because I I think the uh the White Rabbit the Flanders or oh, sorry the non-Flanders red uh, was one of the one of the ones listed, I think, as, as as the type of beer that would be would be available. So that's a very interesting venture because that's quite different to anything that's been done before. Online sales, obviously, um, their research will tell them is is I guess uh, where the action can be, or you know where the growth is. Um, also, I guess gives you a bit more hands on um, in terms of engagement with your. Um, your your potential customers Um, and I think it also probably opens up the opportunities for I just don't know what to get you know uh, uncle Fred um, or he likes beer what should I get him Um, if you can get something sent on you know posted online um, might solve those difficult gift issues.
0: Yeah and it's also uh, you know interesting to see the range because you've got things like Panhead um, which is a uh, favorite of uh, and Emerson's yeah and Emerson's Um, so beers that uh, have you know, quite a little bit of um, cachet uh, amongst a serious uh, beer drinker um, are ex- available exclusively there and you know, maybe giving a, a bit of an idea as to the strategy of buying some of those brands um, or, either that, or it's, uh, that they bought the brands and then thought this is a place that we can uh, sell them. Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts
1: on the, the marketing side of things, the naming, um, you know, rather than, you know, Lion Online or, I don't know, you know, Beer 2U or something? to go for MOKU.
0: Yeah, look, look, I'll defer to um, Luke for a mile of the time. Um, he had some very interesting insights um, on it and I think Luke's probably a little bit more contemporary in his uh, you know, in, in his views um, on, on those sorts of things. So it was very interesting. He had some comments to make about the just how busy the, the website is and, and about the name. Um, I, look, I, I guess, you know, Prof... And, you know, there there comes a time in your life when um, you know, as a forty-seven-year-old, you're probably no longer representative of what's uh, new and hip. Not that I probably ever was, um, but it, yeah. Look, on on the plus side, they are trying something um, a little bit different. Um, you know, I, I I really don't have any, as odd as it may be, I don't have any. Uh, profound thoughts on it. Um, I just actually sit back and and prepared to watch and see how it goes because it is uh, a very interesting strategy. It's a different strategy for them. Um, it you know it, it, it reflects um, that they realise that they need to do something. Um, and whether this is the thing that they need to do, we'll wait and see. Um,
1: yeah, it's you've it, it, it nailed it. It's like it, it, it's a, it's very different.
0: Yeah. So um, yeah. So but so, I, so, I,
1: so I was tapping.
0: And so was Tap King, and uh, you know, like Tap King was something that they tried, um, and it it didn't work for a whole range of reasons. But again, it was something that they tried, and uh, I I remember saying at the time that I was very excited because it was actually something that put the focus on beer rather than on you know four blokes building a boat um, or some of those things. Um, Yeah, some of the negative perceptions that were associated with that that I just uh, highlighted. So yeah, look, um, but I do um, highly recommend uh, Luke's. Um, post on it because yeah it was quite insightful um and uh and an interesting read i don 't know that i yeah, look i i i can see all of the points that he 's making but again um you know yeah it, it, time will tell whether the time will tell yeah, yeah the the market decides these things but it's it 's an interesting strategy um uh but i think that 's really about all that there was in the uh, world of a uh, big in the world of news this week that I can think of prof so uh now this week, um, I wanted to have a bit of a chat to, um, you You and I have talked quite a bit about the Brisbane Beer Sane Prof. Um, you know, you drop in once a, a year for a substantial period and you get to, to observe it and you, you, you come up um, infrequently outside of that. And you've, you've had some thoughts. So, on the, the Brisbane Beer Sane. And uh, one of the uh, bars that has really carved out a niche, and I, I still regard it as one of the best bars in in, in the country for a whole range of reasons. Um, is the the scratch and you know I look at the way that the boys did it um, and you know on one hand there it looks like a very clever slick um, operation but whenever you speak to them it, it sounds like it's more instinctive and just fueled by passion um, and so I wanted to get Ben uh, Nichols um, from the scratch on to talk about it particularly because. Uh, they are about to launch their second venture that is very, very different to The Scratch. I wanted to find out what they learned from The Scratch because we are we, a lot of our listeners want to open bars and breweries and I thought it might be quite in, in instructive, but also what they've learned. Uh, so the whole episode is, in, in, in a sense, a Pacey's poser um, about what they're doing differently. So uh, how about we have a chat to Ben Nichols? And as always, I started by asking, who is Ben Nichols?
2: Um, I started a bar that we did about five years ago in Brisbane called The Scratch, um, in which we knew very little about what we were doing, but gave it a step anyway, and ended up having a lot of fun with a lot of the growing, uh, craft beer industry in Australia. Um, I have since just tried to be involved in the, uh, beer community in various ways and had a lot of fun along the way.
0: Uh, I, I guess to sort of put it that way, it's is probably selling yourself a little bit short. Anyone who knows you and knows the, the bar um, and has seen you on Facebook knows that you have a, a, a varied range of interests that would uh, be described as pop culture E. Sure,
2: sure. I like all things pop culture, everything from books, comics, movies, beer, anything you get a little bit nerdy about, uh, I think I end up enjoying
0: it, 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 the, the reason I throw that in is because uh, it, it's one of the things that um, you, you mentioned the scratch bar, which you are one of the proprietors, um, but it's, it's one of the things that is really colored. Um, the, the, the scratch bar is the personalities of the three guests. Oh, sorry, of, of the three uh, owners.
2: I think um, so. something that we talked a lot about when we first started up the scratch was basically just to put it in context. um I started The Scratch with uh, childhood friends, um, Kieran and Patrick, or Shev, and um, we were just all in a point um, of <laughs> dead ends in Brisbane. I'd just been made redundant from a job in television, and we generally liked doing lots of projects together. Um, Kieran was working in a uh, craft, one of the only craftier bottle stores at the time, um, the um, store that uh, preceded Craft in Red Hill. And um, yeah, we'd spend every single um, weekend um, buying as many different beers as we could and sharing them around and, and learning with it. But we generally have a good time along the way. So we decided to just say, well, there doesn't seem there seems to be a couple of places where you can get this sort of stuff in Brisbane, but there didn't seem to be a place that we felt was similar to our living room. So we thought, all right, we'll, we'll have a stab at just creating a small bar um, that felt like our living room, that, that was a place that we could invite people to come have fun with us, but also share Outgrowing passion for um trying new wild wonderful and interesting beers from all around australia and the world um we did that in a very naive way (laughs) we we had not um, had a lot of experience with small business um we we probably made every mistake across the book at the start and every single dollar that went into the business either came from bad loans a credit card or um my redundancy package um but we got there and that's what's important and we're here five years later and we've (laughs) gotten over every little hurdle along the way and, and kind of evolved to the place continually since
0: then. And, and I guess that's one of the reasons that we wanted to talk to you is Pete and I um, often say that we uh, talk to, to the people of the beer industry, but we take a little bit more of a broader view and how they relate to, to the broader industry. And you, you guys, um, the, the way you summed up the story is pretty much how I would have done it um, and worried the whole time that I was sort of... Uh, sort of diminishing uh, what what you did but it really was a bootstrap operation when you started and um, how lucky do you think you were that you know even though we're only talking about five years ago in Brisbane that was the fairly nascent or you know formative stages for craft beer there weren't a lot of craft beer bars do you think that you could have uh, had exactly the same approach that you had then um, if you were doing that now?
2: This is something we think about sometimes and it was an interesting little state. So there, it wasn't like there wasn't craft beer bars when we, when we opened, there was a few places you could get some great things around town. We spent a lot of time over at archive in West end um, platform bar in the city was doing some nice stuff. Um, so when we opened up, I don't think we intrinsically thought we were bringing something 100% new in terms of the beer, but we saw it as something that we were really interested in. But whilst The Scratch has got this nice little reputation over the years of being, you know, one of the first in Brisbane and this nice little like home and pocket of a lot of um, varying uh, craft beer people um, in Brisbane. I don't feel at least, you know, I might be very wrong, but I don't feel like that's what's ended up defining us 100%. I think it was our attitude towards craft beer or or towards uh, sharing the things that we were passionate about, which wasn't just beer. It was a little bit of silliness. It was having fun. It was, was, Genuinely sitting down and making people feel comfortable if there was only one person there and and making them comfortable in our house effectively. Um, if I think about it now, um, I'm not too sure. Like like I suppose we could open up now and we could bring that exact attitude that we have, which I still think is a fairly unique attitude as far as Brisbane's concerned and um, maybe still do okay. But at the time, you know, it was gangbusters for the first six months because small bars didn't exist really exist in brisbane it was a relatively new license so i think we were lucky to sort of get in the ground floor of what was an early version of the small bar license and i think we avoided a few very lucky misses along the way our our business didn't get delayed dramatically we only had a three-month turnaround from the time we started the lease to the day that we were open which is uh lucky for some people if we'd been any longer than that we probably would have shot ourselves in the foot. we were very lucky in terms of we had very strong opening uh, word of mouth and people just started travelling down very quickly to the point that in the first three months, you couldn't go on a Friday night without lighting up for half an hour, which is almost embarrassing at this point that this has not happened for years. It but was all very crazy. LA,
0: wasn't it? You know, The, the velvet rope out the front yeah. and people uh, letting you in and uh, being very you – know, yeah. It, it, well, I remember just how busy you were in those opening stages, but you don't see that now
2: when bars open up. No, it was a little bit weird because that was not comfortable for us. That was not something that we wanted. And that, you know, uh, that, that sense of elitism or, or or importance is is something we wanted to avoid in its entirety. And it was something we couldn't really avoid because we had a very strict capacity of 60 people at the time. It's since been raised with small bars to 100 people. But. You know, and it was like, the, the you know, you get about certain swanks of small bars sometimes. And, and I remember something very early in the piece where it was probably in our first four weeks and we'd done the bar and we're like, this is what a bar is supposed to look like, I think. And we put on, this is the right music for a small bar. And we sort of making that up as we went along. And we, I remember really distinctly one customer who came in and as, as as they left, they said, you know, if if you want your jazz bar to feel a little bit better, you really should be wearing, you know, like suits and ties and stuff. I remember saying, thank you for the g- suggestion. Good night. Turned around after everybody closed and said, we need to fuck this place up. We need to make it dirtier. We need to make it grimier. We need to make this feel like us a little bit more in terms of just trying to do what uh, a nice small bar is. But but there was a, some cross sections there because we were you know, trying to appreciate beer in a really sensible way. Um, so we're giving tastes in, in small wine glasses. And, and there's some differing back and forth in terms of how audiences perceive that, I think. Um, you can't kind of have your cake and eat it. You can't really have everything be this very high-class version of presentation in terms of the alcohol and still expect people to be 100% relaxed and comfortable as if it's their local corner pub. There needs to be a bit of a marriage between the two, and I think our evolution over that time has been trying to bring that respect and appreciation for for, for good product and that very comfortable corner pub feel to a very sensible middle ground.
0: Now, you mentioned that... You, you made every mistake under the sun. Um, what were some of the mistakes, the, the, the classic mistakes? And, and we, we we're often, um, we, well, one of our regular guests has uh, asked us to ask all of our guests, one of our regular correspondents has asked us to ask all of our guests, um, you know, what is one thing that you would change? But it, it sounds like there are quite a few things you would change. Can you sort of talk us through some of the big mistakes you make um, that you wish that you, were, you could go back and change?
2: Um, I don't think there was anything like that was so dramatic that it would have put us on but there were definitely a bunch of things that just being green and a little bit naive about small business, not necessarily beer was definitely stuff that um, uh, has been a good lesson to learn especially in doing later projects that we've been doing um, The really boring one is just cash flow we opened up with zero dollars in our bank. We didn't really escape that one in the end. We'd maxed out every single one of our credit cards. We'd um, drained our bank account completely. We opened on day one with as much stock as we could could, could get to sell over the bar and $0 in our bank account. And had that gone any other direction, then thankfully the way that it went, we would have been in a lot of trouble. Um, But that was a matter of the time and the place. And I'm sure we accounted for trying to have some cash flow at the beginning stages, but it just didn't work out like that. Um, trying very hard not to do that this time, uh, despite the realities of opening up another small business. Um, some of the other things uh, peanuts. Great idea. I've <laughs> ever decided to put peanuts in that venue? <laughs> no, that was a great idea. We love having peanuts, but but uh, we are forever um, trying to grab every single skerrick and crack of a peanut out from the deepest corners of our bar.
0: <laughs> I, I do I do remember that. I, I hadn't actually I noticed think, that you. Um...
2: Uh, generally, um, uh, hiring all your friends is both a great and terrible idea. Um, but that's just something that's a normal part of business and something that we've actually been really thankful of because some of the people that we hired in our very early days are genuinely still with us and still people we consider our close friends to the point that one of the people that started with us is now a co-owner of the business. Good good stuff
0: is important. Yeah, so, so what, what were the... Um, I, I do remember the peanuts and thinking what a great idea they were. And I should say that these aren't just... Uh, beer nuts that you put on the thing, that they were baskets of uh, boiled nuts in the shell. So um, yeah. w- w- one of the great pleasures was sitting at, the, at a table with the beer and you know, it, it's almost the um, doing the rosary of opening your peanuts and sort of just having that nice little uh, tactile feel as you're having a conversation and breaking open nuts. But obviously, um, you know, a- a- as with all good ideas, it, it does have a downside
2: no we love this one we're we're committed to it to the day the bar closes we just did some really nice tapping on some people's shoulders and just remind them very politely sometimes that you're not actually supposed to throw the nuts on the ground i thought this was woodstock and like it's not woodstock
0: and 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 how about the issue of uh you know opening the bar and staffing it with your friends um what, what sort of issues did you face there
2: Oh, just regular sort of ones, you know, like you get your friends in there and there's there's a little bit of sort of like, all right, we're all in this together. Who's doing this today? It's generally not that bad a thing. Honestly, I think we've actually been really lucky in that regard um, and, and had some really spectacular times with people that are close to us. But that whole initial phase where it was all our friends were slowly sort of like, uh, a lot of the guys moved on, went on to their own careers and did bits and pieces and we've slowly filled the place with, the most amazing stuff in the universe um, that come from all walks of life. Um, we had a nice little sort of roundabout thing this week because uh, we grew up down uh, in Canberra um, going to the Wigan Pen uh, and it was one of, pretty much the only place you could go. Um, we were in when we were about 1920 um, for uh, different kinds of beer. And last week we had uh, an ex member of um, Wigan Pen who's been there for years just start up with us. So it's been a nice little round table, around round circle.
1: Ben, last week, uh, Matt and I were lucky enough to speak to um, Hendo, Steve Henderson, who's just opened, uh, yeah. um, I, I guess, a bar down here that, that has uh, a, a pretty similar feel in that it's very kind of, you know, it, it's small, it's welcoming and it's uh, it's very unpretentious, which is um, my vivid impressions of, of the scratch, the, the the times that I've been up uh, and been there. Um, and we, we sort of talked about, I guess, the background of, of craft people and how there's, there's very much, uh, you, you don't tend to get, um, I guess, at the the hub of, of, of any craft beer business. You don't tend to get, I guess, black and white bean counter types. They People attracted to craft tend to have a, a bit of a creative uh, bent. Do you think that kind of, I guess, helped um, informing both um, the the vibe, if you like, of, of the scratch, but also um, its ability to not reinvent itself, but, to, I guess to, to change as, uh, as more places came onto the market and as more beers came onto the market.
2: Absolutely. I actually went down to uh, Melbourne last weekend and went and checked out, uh, uh the little brew Cult bar, um, a few days before it was opening and it was, it just looked fantastic. And it was nice to see the guys, uh, start to create a really, really nice vibe. Um, a good friend of ours who um, did our main mural on our wall was doing their main mural on their wall. And it was good to see, um, that happen. Um, in terms of small bars, yeah. I, I feel like one of the main things is um, I feel like audiences or at least punters can can easily tell uh, what the enthusiasm level of, of a venue is. You can you can see it in the way that they write. You can see it in the way that they, they, they serve people. You can see it in the way that they engage with people on social media. And if you see a venue that's genuinely excited and genuinely passionate and genuinely out there to, to engage with people in positive ways, I, I think it's it, the bullshit meter is strong. Uh, honesty is, is is a really important thing, and if I don't think a venue truly has that passion or truly has that uh, drive, uh, people pull that apart really quickly, and, and and it doesn't it doesn't translate. People you can go into a venue and people don't feel like uh, that's uh, a place where they're sharing that passion. So I think that's the most important thing: just just keeping up that energy, keeping up that enthusiasm, and obviously Hendo and the guys have that passion and, and then some. I think the guys yeah, can and it's, kill it's it interesting
1: you, you specifically we we talk about the the artwork because um for me there's very much a sense of you, you can walk into some places and know that the um the vibe is, is is literally just painted on um that you know we've gone for a look that we've seen somewhere and, and kind of thought was pretty funky so we're gonna we're gonna do that but it, it just doesn't kind of gel um I can imagine that with um some of the guys who have passed through the scratch and, and like you say you know a bit of a breeding ground I guess for, for people who have then moved on um there must have been lots of different I guess uh creative energies at work um, does that sometimes I guess uh, it's a a fine line between feeding off that uh, but also I guess keeping all the the disparate interests um, in check. Uh,
2: The creative energy of our staff is both my most loved and most hated thing about (laughs) the scratch. Basically everyone who seems to walk into the scratch and ends up working for us is an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly uh, creative person, whether that's for a passion for art um music um uh brewing uh, or cooking and we tend to really feed off everybody's creativity and try and find ways to uh involve that in the venue in every every way so we had tim who um uh does brutal brewers and in the early days he was doing brewing so um we found a way to for him to uh really uh excel with that creativity and started putting on his beers at our venue and now he's gone on and he's about to go start up um, brewing uh, for Neustadt Brewing. So so he's, he's gone through that journey and that's been a really nice way to, to push that through. And Tim's now a co-owner of the bar, which has been a really, really fun adventure. Then we've got um, a couple of the other staff members who are just amazing with uh, uh, illustration and, and videos. Um, so t- when we do events, we tend to get the guys to themselves do really, really, really fun posters, um, create videos, get everybody involved. And when we do events, they don't tend to, tend to be very half-assed because we get the entire team to throw every single piece of creative energy they have into the thing. And it, it usually translates as well. We get people rocking up in costume. We get people um, uh, really taking part in either of our uh, Weekend of Darkness or Weekend of Tartness events in a really big way. And that's been a consistent thing for years now. Um, we 've had a very low staff turnover um, with with the scratch, and we 're about to have a few people uh, leave and that 's like a really scary time for us because we 're so used to having our very solid group of very creative people that were like, "Okay, cool, now we need to find a bunch of incredibly gold creative people to keep that energy at the scratch up
0: you, you touched on the the creativity of the team and it, and it is something that is really um apparent uh in, in this scratch that it's not just a bar and you know, also the the honesty and the, uh, the the passion that goes into it I, I think um, I don't know that you guys actually described the scratch as a dive bar when it first opened because um, you, you just opened as and what it was but since then we've seen a whole lot of um, what would best be called designer dive bars where they've had uh, some very expensive stylists come in to try and make their bar look like yours ended up um Was yours artfully uh made to look like that, or was that just the way that it, <laughs> it, it came together because of the skills and the uh, talents of the people involved?
2: I came from a background of creative people for very strange reasons. Before I was doing the bar, I was doing photography. And I would work with one of the co-owners, to just make really silly things. You know, one time we needed a plane for a photo shoot. So we grabbed the wheelie bin from out the front and made that the cockpit. And we started just building on top of it until we had a biplane out the back. It was the most ramshackle thing. And we kind of took that exact same energy and applied it to a bar. You can still go into the bar. You can still find all the corners where everything's kind of falling apart. And you can look through it and you go, wow, that was put together fairly shoddily, wasn't it? But it's all still standing. It's all still there. And every last bit of it adds to whatever the hell character that the scratch has. Um We didn't go in with any intention of having a very particular look. But again, we just created the living room that we wanted to be in. So we just thought, yeah, we kind of like that. And we did that. There was definitely coming from no architectural uh, design professionalism. And I think if you go in there, that's pretty bloody obvious. Um, In terms of um, what we called ourselves, we actually did have on the initial stuff, uh, we called it a craft beer dive, which we no longer really use either of those two words when we can help it um people tend to have very specific expectations when you call something a craft beer bar or you call it a dive bar and i think one of the things that we've been really passionate about is trying to I guess, for lack of a better word normalize any concept of, of of elitism or coolness just trying to strip that back as much as possible so that you're just going into a bar that's supposed to be comfortable and can just have a bunch of, of good beer um, to not to not bring with that the labels that dive bars or craft beer bars tend to be associated with.
0: That said, I, and, I, and that's something I've always felt about the venue um, and, and why I was so interested in having a chat to you, but even with that um, de-ponsifying craft beer or you know, not making it serious, you've also gone the other way where um, you, you're one of the few um, good beer venues that really uh, chooses glassware very carefully, but it's done. And so you have very nice glassware, but it's not done in a way that accentuates or draws attention to the glassware. It's almost just matter of fact, we have nice glassware. Um, so you seem, is that a conscious decision that you made?
2: Absolutely. Um, again, just going back to that concept of us trying to find that fine line between making uh, an appreciation of product comfortable without highlighting too much that it becomes more of a defining aspect of the venue um, we're we're starting up another venue at the moment and we're going through this whole process again of what the most appropriate way of actually um, attacking the 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 uh, glassware and the um, the beer lineup is and and whilst this new venue is going to be um, probably a step down from whatever we do with the scratch we're still thinking an incredible amount about. How that's supposed to feel, and and this new venue, for example, is something that um, uh, the beer is almost ancillary to the main purpose of the venue, which is which is arcade machines. So, um, and what, what our general thoughts across the board were was that with the food, with with the alcohol, with 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 the glassware, we want it all to be as good as we can possibly do it, but it's to almost be invisible that we've tried very hard to make it very good, and. But that, that's our general uh, approach, and I think that's the sort of thing that we've, we've learned over the last five years with the Scratch and some of the, one of the things that I think we've gotten better and better at and evolved over time. There was once upon a time at the Scratch where we had massive brandy balloons um, for, 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 for bigger beers, and we slowly stripped them away, <laughs> one, because of a the budget the budgetary thing, because they would break very easily, and you'd be replacing $6 worth of glassware four, four times a week. Um, but other, others because just something that's a little bit more restrained and a little bit more... Uh, easier rather than walking into a bar and feeling intimidated because everyone's got this ridiculous glassware in their hand and, and, and that feeling of, well, does that mean I've got to respect and appreciate all this alcohol like that, or can I just come in here and have a drink and be one of the guys?
0: What What was your background or the, the, the guys that opened it, um, that got together to open it? Did any of you have, you know, much hospo experience or much hospitality experience?
2: Um, the first day I worked in the scratch was the first day I worked in a bar. <laughs> which was which was interesting, but uh, Kieran had uh, had a bit, bit of a history. Uh, like he'd been working in a craft beer bottle store for a number of years, and Shevard had years of hospitality experience. But all over, not really. Um, and we've sort of taken that with the staff as well. Uh, we've never hired um, staff based on their hospitality experience. Um, hospitality can be can be difficult, and um, it requires definitely a, a certain uh, constitution. Um, but we've definitely looked more for um, personality, uh, creativity, and friendliness so, over actual hospitality skills because they can be taught quite easily.
0: It, it, and one of the um, Pete and I have a lot of discussions because Pete is a hospitality professional. He's been a, a long time, and he so he looks with uh, Pete. Would it be fair to say a fairly critical eye at um, you know bar work and presentation?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think really your, your people people who realise that. Your people are your greatest resource. I think are the ones who um, who do best. And I, 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 it's interesting, a sense uh, almost a, a sense of regret um, when you talk about you know staff that have moved on. Um, and I think that's that that's a great sign. I think that says that you know you you value your your people. Then you um, uh, that reflects how you treat your guests.
2: We um we call we call our crew the Good Family Scratch, and I don't think that. An understatement. It really does feel like a very close knit family at this point. Um, you know, we do hang out on the weekends and we do um, have very good times together, and we do have non-stop, frustrating, ongoing discussions in in uh, messenger threads. It's it, it, the unfortunate thing for the start of the scratch. I think is that. There's never really downtime. There's never really escape from it because it's a fairly ongoing uh, monstrous piece. It's just not uh, going to work, and then hang home from work. Ben,
0: given that you didn't have a um, extensive experience or any experience in hospitality, I've always been struck by just some of the little details that I think that the scratch has tended to get right. Um, you know, the the when you first opened it would have been very intimidating for you know people because it was a you know a very art, artfully styled bar or a very arty bar um but yet very early on um you know there were a whole lot of guys in suits who were a little bit more straight um you know looking than the, the the bar was probably um standard you know it wasn't their standard bar um, is a way to put it and yet the 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 staff were all very good at putting them to ease and to me that's just you know, good hospitality, um, or I assume that it's good hospitality because there are so many venues that do it very, very badly. Um, And when people walked up, if they didn't immediately recognise anything on tap, all of your staff, you know, pretty much instantly had a glass in hand offering a small sample to get them over that, um, you know, uncertainty. And there are a whole lot of just little details that The Scratch has always done um, that, you know, a, a lot of more professional hospitality venues just don't seem to get right. Where did that come from? Or or was that something you just learned very quickly or was it something that you you planned to do from the start?
2: I I find this one interesting one because I feel like that shouldn't be difficult for venues. I I don't think it was ever a very conscious choice for us because I just felt like, all right, we're in hospitality. What's the point of hospitality? To be helpful and friendly. That's pretty much it. Uh, Helping people find things in a strange sea of stuff they don't recognise should be part and parcel with any industry where the product isn't immediately relevant. Uh, sorry, immediately recognizable. Um, I remember when we first uh, opened and we started doing, so we only opened with four taps. It was a very small set of taps. And we'd come in and we just thought, all right, at the start, we'll just give everyone a taste of everything. That, that'll be fine. So we started doing that. And a few months later, someone from another bar coming up to me and saying, dude, get stuffed. I've had people coming up to my bar recently and saying, can I have a taster of that? And I'm like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? Why are we giving you a taster? And I said, because oh, they do it at the scratch. And the guy was having a go at me, but all I could think of was, well, just give them a bloody taste. <laughs> like, it's if, if that means a friendlier response with your audience, and that means them finding the things they like, that's going to mean them returning. How is how is ten cents worth of a taste really not an obvious thing to do? I don't understand the the, the being counter mentality sometimes um, of not spending twenty five cents worth of effort to get multiple returns of a customer. It doesn't make any
0: sense. And yet some of those bars, you you watch their bar staff pouring and their technique is such that they will just sort of keep pouring the glass and and dumping beer over the side until they've, uh, you know, to get rid of foam, which would be costing them much more in wastage than uh, just a little sample.
2: Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Like, um, giving the taste of sometimes does... uh, uh, Cost, but, but to us, it's a, uh, it's, it's a worthy cost. Um, now that we've got nine taps, it's a little bit harder to say, hey, let's um, take you through all nine beers. But uh, we effectively very, very quickly, when people come in, the moment the moment you see that face, which is sort of like, what's going on? The guys are really great. They just jump straight in and go, right, what sort of thing do you like? If you're unsure, let's try some a, a range of different things and we'll see what sort of direction you want to go at. And it takes all of one minute to find a new style of beer that someone has never tried before that they didn't know that they loved. It, it takes one minute of communication, and it's. it's I think that's been the, the funnest and the, the most rewarding part of, of the scratch as we went along.
0: Uh, another thing, I mean, I, I remember you and Kieran um, uh, you know, meeting you for the first time probably six months before the bar opened, and you came up and introduced yourselves and talked about your bar, and you were talking about having constantly rotating taps and you know looking forward to the you know and, and even when you opened, you know there was a real pleasure that you both got from you know sourcing Australia to find what would next go on your taps and spending so much time on curating your beer selection that seems to have um that that enthusiasm for the hours spent doing that and that was when you only had four taps um the, the hours you spent doing that seems to not hold the same uh you know sense of fun for you is it, is it more work trying to keep those taps <laughs> stocked?
2: Um, I don't tend to do a lot of that stuff these days. Tim's been doing that for the last couple of years and he does a bloody wonderful job of it. Um, it's become a very different environment. Like basically when we opened up in Brisbane in those days, there was a handful of things you could get locally for anything you wanted interstate. You had to organize a full pallet from, from a brewery from New South Wales or, or South Australia or Victoria. So we were doing things like contacting, um, Lobethol Beer House and, um, uh, Brew Boys down in South Australia and saying, look, can we just chuck half a pallet each on something and send that up here so we have something different to show um it's, it's kind of funny these days because it's so easy to get an amazing selection of wide-ranging beers. not to count all the local breweries that have opened up and and they're holding their own the, the hunt to go around australia and really find something new weird and wonderful has, has definitely diminished just because we have so much good product at our doorstep now that's it, we can still have fun with it. So, so I think uh, our, the evolution of the way that we've approached the taps has definitely become a little bit more local uh, focused and a little bit more Australian focused. Um, in the early days, we did a lot of international, um, but, but that's just been a result of the very different and changing uh, industry over the last three or four years in Australia. We're lucky at this point. Now our, our industry is thriving and it's strong and, and we're in Milton at the moment, and we're about to go from a situation in Milton where we've been the only bar there for the last five years um, and we're about to get two new microbreweries uh, in ether Brewing and newster Brewing around the corner from us in the next three months. and honestly, we couldn't be more excited about that 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 makes Milton a hub
0: um, I, I, I wanted to talk about that and how uh, crowded the scene is becoming and whether that's great for you guys or not but but before we did that, just on the um, taps. You also, uh, early on, I remember, you know, that there was whether an official or an informal policy of, you know, um, making sure that everybody got a turn on your taps um, and it wasn't so much curated as taking, you know, just making sure that everybody had a chance at your taps. I get a sense that there's a little bit more curation for quality on your taps these days rather than just taking what comes.
2: Um, absolutely. Like we definitely prioritise a lot of the people that we really appreciate, that we really uh, have good relationships with. Um, uh, the fact of the matter is there's literally too much beer out there to give everything a go at this point. Um, so it's not so much cur- curation as, as a result of an active choice, it's as curation out of necessity. Um, that said, we still consider the formula of the scratch or whatever the, the attitude of the scratch is. It's supposed to be a showcase uh, of what's available out there. So we're still very strong in the rotation. We still only go with one keg per per tap and then move on to something new um, because it is supposed to be something that that, that shows you the variety of what we have out there in the world. And I think that we've worked really hard with that, and I think that we're still doing a a bang-up job of that, and Tim's doing a bang-up job of that. Um, And and we will continue with that mentality until, um, you know, whatever sad day the scratch ever shuts doors. Um, for our next venue we we're not taking that same approach. We're taking more of an approach with um, uh good relationships and focusing on on our favorite beers as opposed to a showcase uh, method
0: and and moving on to that uh, issue of the number of bars that are opening and uh whether it, it it's good um for the existing businesses or whether it's going to take away we've recently seen a, a very good craft beer. Hotel in Toowoomba um, that was, had created a real community around it and was driving a lot of um, beer festival activity and a, a lot of interesting craft beer. Um, closed down after two years, um, and it was it came as a real surprise to a lot of people because they were seen as such a hub of craft beer in the the the, the city. And for those who don't know, um, Toowoomba is two hours west of Brisbane. Um, it's regarded as a you know, big country town, um, but this venue had all of the um, appearance of being very successful. But then they closed down very suddenly, and one of the reasons they cited was well. Uh, the excitement that we've created for craft beer encouraged a lot of other people to open doing something similar. And, you know, whilst they competed a little bit, it was just enough to take the profitability out of what we were doing. Um, You know, just those few extra people that were maybe going and spending their craft beer dollars elsewhere just meant that this venue wasn't profitable. Do you have a sense for how that's going in Brisbane? We've seen a lot of venues open, um, has the craft beer drinking community or the, you know, the, the beer drinking community expanded at the same rate as venues are opening? Um, or you know, could we see um, a you know, glut of venues serving beer and not enough uh, you know, dedicated drinkers to, uh, to, to service them? Um, so this is not
2: going to be based off statistics. This is going to be based off uh, what I've uh, witnessed. Um, or what I what I get the feeling of, but I, I honestly don't feel like uh, I don't feel like there are too many craft beer venues for the amount of craft beer drinkers. I, I think that's a slightly not wrong way to look at it, but but not the right way to attack it. Um, there may be a sense of maybe there's a lot of uh, venues out there that are focused on craft beer, but for example, you've got the two microbreweries coming to Milton soon, and I don't think that's going to be something that divides craft beer drinkers. I think that's only going to attract local people that want to leave the house and go out somewhere nice to go to to their local and have a drink, regardless of whether that's craft beer or not. I think it's less about the actual high-intense craft beer focus and more about just having good venues that happen to have good beer at them. Um, I feel like going forward with Brisbane, um, it's going to be great to see a bunch of new, really dedicated craft beer bars open up in the next five years but I feel like the focus probably should be on just creating very good venues that happen to have uh, an array of beers that happen to be all our local breweries and all, our, all, all the things that are on our back doorstep. Um, I, I don't feel like there's too many venues. I, I don't feel like the craft beer audience is stagnating. I feel like it's only growing every single day. If I think from five years ago, the type of people that would come in and just be dumbfounded about what was on tap to the people that come in now and just be like – give me a go of that one, give me a go of that one, give me a go on that one, and these will be people that are uh, your typical 5pm suits on a Friday and they're still all over it. They love it. I think there's, I think there's genuinely heaps of room to move and I'll have, I, I'd will i love to see more microbreweries and more bars that serve craft beer in Brisbane.
0: Um, and speaking of which, uh, you, you have said that you're opening a new venue, uh, Netherworld. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? You, you've obviously, uh, well, from what you've said, it's going to be a little bit different to what the scratch always was.
2: Absolutely. So Netherworld is either the silliest or smartest idea we've ever had. Um, Basically, we're filling a hole in Brisbane, which is, um, in America, a a very strong trend. And I I hate that we're doing something that's on on trend somewhere else. But you know what? It works. Um, The arcade bar is a huge thing over there. And not only that, the arcade craft beer bar is a huge thing over there. Um, To the point that people are like, in some cities in America, well, there's kind of too many craft beer arcade bars at this point. So we're getting it on the ground floor, and we're going to do it uh, first over here. Um, so basically we're not going to half ass around with the food and the drink. We're going to bring, bring the same sort of attitude that we had with the scratch to this place. Um, but this is in an old heritage pub in the Valley at the old step in slash underdog slash under, uh, shamrock hotel. So it's a much bigger, bigger project than we used to, um, in a beautiful old classic Queenslander heritage pub. Um, and it's going to have 25 arcade machines, 15 pinball machines, hundred board games, a bunch of old consoles, a full kitchen. Um, that's going to be a very, very fun, excellent menu. Um, and 24 taps that don't just constitute uh, beer that also comes along with cider, cocktails, sodas, um, but a very excellent lineup of beer that ranges from uh, everything from locally produced lagers, pale pale ales, and goldens, all the way through to um, stout supporters, reds, and uh, an imperial stout somewhere up the end there. It'll be a very approachable um, lineup of beer and a varied lineup of beer, but it'll be something that highlights our favourite uh, breweries and beers from mostly Brisbane and around Australia.
0: The venue that you've gone into, it's, it's in a very high-profile area in Fortitude Valley in Brisbane, but it's also gone into a venue... Yes, it, is,
2: it, is across the road, it is across the road from the den and a bunch of strip clubs, Yeah. Yes, but it's also a you know, highly
0: trafficked area, but there have been a number of... Uh, it, it, well, it's, it's a very old pub. It's a shamrock um, pub um, and it's famous in Brisbane. Um, but modern ven- modern publicans haven't managed to to make a go of it. what is it did you, you know you're obviously billing this venue as being something other than a craft beer bar um, it, it is much more targeting the gaming venue. Do you think venues that um, you know open now have to move away from just being a craft beer venue and they need to offer punters more to get them in the door?
2: Um, I don't think they have to. I think a place can absolutely do that. But I believe for us, um, the, this is something that we feel uh, strongly that is missing in Brisbane at the moment. Um, when we say it's not a craft beer bar, it still is. And this is, you know, technically a, a craft beer bar. There'll be a few different uh, uh, personalities in this one particular venue. We see it as a place that you don't necessarily have to be a gamer to go there, but you can go there and get an excellent food. You can sit, sit in an old heritage pub and have a an, an excellent glass of local beer um and not play a game in the world but it should be a place that you can go and waste four or five hours um just shoving coins into things whilst having a beer in your hand at the same time um at the end of the day the beer is going to be an excellent addition to this place but i don't think it's going to be the main draw of this place um even the games i don't think are actually going to be the main draw of this place the the main draw of the place is the the environment that we create and the personality that we create and the feeling of being in there that we end up creating. And that's foremost
0: at our mind. For it. Ben, so so when do you open? When when do you uh, hit the go button, or, when, or what do we say for for gaming? When do we get to put our token in and uh, press play? <laughs>
2: it's looking like January at this point. Uh, um, hopefully, it'll be uh, either first thing in the new year or a week after that.
0: And uh, the 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 staff is it, are you going to have the similar sort of approach to to scratch, or have you have you changed, mixed things up a little bit there?
2: Um, at the end of the day, we'll have one hundred percent be. Uh, we haven't actually got to the staff stage yet. I'm doing this with um, Jimmy Anglis, um who who um, was a rep for beer importers and distributors, and he is an absolute pinball wizard. Who listeners um, will know. Uh, I,
0: I am the new Jimmy, um, at least for a, for a short period of time.
2: <laughs> but he's um, he's, a, he's a killer he's a killer uh, operator, and he'll do a wonderful job. Where we we do plan to. Uh, you know, try and bring that same attitude for staff at the Netherworld as we do further scratch in that we want to build a family. We want to build people that, first and foremost, are friendly, helpful people um, with a lot of creativity um, that, that that are still hard workers that get in there and, and, and give it a go. Um, this place is most definitely a passion project for us. It's definitely not a place where we thought, oh, look, there's a hole in the market. We can make money for that. Um, we're definitely putting our, our, our insides on the wall and, um, and and giving it a go. So, It's in our best interest to really uh, create the best team that we possibly can, and we'll be taking that very seriously.
0: Well, mate, uh, look, I think we've we've covered the uh, what would you do differently uh, pretty well. But uh, so, Ben, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News, Uh, and all the best. We look forward to maybe uh, broadcasting from the front bar of uh, Netherworld at some stage uh, early next year.
2: No problem. Thank you very much, and we'll see you
1: then. Hey ben, just before we let you go, can you please solve yes, the sir. greatest mystery in terms of, of those of us who grew up in, uh, um, you know, pinny parlours and arcades and that sort of thing? Galaga or Gallagher?
2: Yep. Oh, I a, say Gallagher, but I don't, now yes. I'm doubting myself. Yeah, see, I'm a Galaga man.
1: Maybe, maybe it's a Melbourne-Brisbane thing. I don't know.
2: We, we might have to ask, you, ask Jimmy. He's, he's, Jimmy. Jimmy's an ex-Melbourne man. I'll ask what he says.
0: All right. We'll get the but listeners I'm, I'm to weigh in. We'll do it We'll do I'm a Galaga. All right, Galaga. From Come Queensland. on, Galaga. Ga- Galaga. Gallagher. Hey, actually, I think it might be a queer because I used to call it Gallagher, and then a kid moved up uh, back in grade seven and called it Galaga, and that started everyone thinking that it was called Galaga. But uh, we, we might go to Jimmy on that one. Just make sure you got one there because that's that's a great game. I'm
2: going to have to look that up right now because I don't want to look like a bloody rookie when <laughs> we open this place.
1: Um, It'll be the first thing you we ask. Right?
2: We absolutely do have Gallagher. The lineup's actually bloody spectacular. We um, wrote a list about a year and a half ago of um, uh, our dream list of games that represented the 70s, 80s, 90, and 90s and some bottom stuff, and we've pretty much gotten that list. It took us a while to get it, but we, we got on that list and everything's original. It's going to be, um, yeah, something nice and different for Brisbane.
0: I have to say, until I s- started speaking to Jimmy about it, uh, I didn't realize that there was this, uh, I won't even call it a subculture, there, there is this very strong gaming culture um, for. Pinball machines. I always thought it was a, a way to waste a little bit while you're waiting for your uh, potato scallops to cook. Um, you know, in a fish and chip shop. Uh, they're,
2: they're very they're very they're very they're very, very serious about it. Much more serious than the old arcade game players. The Pinny the pinny crews are, are very passionate. Yeah and then, sorry, mate, was it.
1: waiting were you waiting for scallops or were you waiting for potato cakes?
0: Potato scallops, mate.
2: Oh potato. No,
1: yeah, <laughs> <Scallops. laughs> I just gotta write that down. Another thing about Brisbane. And... <laughs>
0: Yeah. Scallops. All right. So, so you call them potato cakes? Well, yeah, because they're nah. potato. Cakes. Are, are they shredded potato or are they just sliced potato? Battered nice. sliced potato is a potato scallop. So, what do you call scallops? Uh, scallops. Oh. So the potato yeah. is a descriptive <laughs> modifier. I don't want a scallop. I want a potato scallop. I
1: want a cake that's made out of potato.
0: <laughs> Galaga, Gallagher. Ben, um, tomato, tomato. I, I, I think Prof and I should be alone for a little while.
2: No worries, I'll leave you guys with it.
0: Ben, great to chat. Always uh, you know, love hearing uh, your, your, your plans and uh, your, your thoughts on the, the beer industry and all the best with the new venture.
2: No problem, thank you very much. Stop me from doing things, Ben.
0: And, uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There you go, Prof. Ben Nichols, The Scratch, and soon-to-be Netherworld. Uh, we'll yeah, to, uh, looking, looking forward to both. Yeah, yeah, and have a game of galaga. Yeah, and hopefully they have scallops on the menu. Potato scallops, mate. Potato scallops. That's
2: Are what you, I said, didn't I?
0: No, no you said scallops. So Cards and letters um cards and letters no cards and letters this week prof uh i'm not sure uh that's all right uh, like probably running out of um of music cards and letters music so uh, it will just uh go for the classic but uh yeah so listeners you can if you if, if, coming, if, if coming in folks if anything uh if you've got thoughts on moku or the museum or so sort of the modern curations gallery from light if you've got thoughts on yeasty boys coming to brisbane You've got thoughts on the, the, the scratch bar or your favourite beer bar and what makes your favourite beer bar stand out in your eyes. Please let us Are know. Are
1: Boys coming to to Brisbane as well? What did I, you mean Did I Sydney? say
0: Brisbane? I meant Sydney. You know, sorry. Stream, yeah. Thanks thanks for pointing that out. You, you know oh, what right. I meant. Everyone, look, everyone knows what I mean. Anyway, uh, where was I? You can let us know what you thought about those things and more or anything that got your goat or anything that you'd like to shit can or anything that... We shit can. Or you can defend Brisbane from our uh, profs eternal shit can. Um, but you can get in touch with that. us, <laughs> editor of uh, Otherwise, you can jump on iTunes or your favourite podcasting uh, mechanism and leave a, a, a review and some comments. Um, or there's, we've also got a phone number that you can find on the website. Um, and leave a message for us that we will play on an upcoming uh, episode. Otherwise, if you are driving and you don't have access to the show notes, you can jump on your phone, record a voice memo and email it to us and we will play it in the next episode. If you love what we do and would like us to keep doing it, given that we are now currently without a major sponsor um, and your dollars are more important than ever, you can jump on the p- page and either sponsor us and become an executive producer and make a regular donation to the podcast from as little as $5 a month or you can even make a one-off donation and just buy Prof a six-pack. Prof, always good to chat uh, and uh, look forward to chatting with you next week.
1: We shall do. See you, listeners. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for your loyalty and your support. See you soon. And we're out.